everything about me I'm bringing to a neighborhood. And if I'm not careful, um, I can assume that the way I think a neighborhood needs to receive the gospel is the way that it actually should. Mm. Um, instead of asking some questions of how do I use my story and my context with partnership with this neighborhood. This is Equip and Engage, a podcast by Subsplash, exploring how ministry, technology, and innovation come together to equip churches around the world to engage their communities. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Equip and Engage, the Subsplash podcast. Uh, We've got a great topic today. By the way, my name is Justin. I oversee our strategic partnerships here at Subsplash, and so grateful that you joined us. And I'm also joined by Lauren Gelman, um, and I'm going to read your title here of what you do before (laughs) we get into what we're talking about today. But you are the Associate Director of Multiply on the West Coast for the Foursquare Church. Yeah. And I'll have you explain that and what your role is in just a moment. But today, we're going to be talking about what it means to learn your context, not just to lean into it, but to learn your context and why that's important. So uh, Lauren, why don't you talk to me a little bit about what you do for Foursquare and yeah. uh, and why are you so passionate about it? Yeah. Um, so I get to help oversee people that want to plan a church on the West Coast. Um, it's actually 11 states. So I'm sure you're asking, well, there's not really 11 states on the West Coast, yeah. <laughs> um, but it encompasses 11 states. Um, and so if people want to plan a church, I help kind of bring them into the process and help them get trained and then hopefully at the end, plant a church. Um, and I'm really passionate about that because I want to see church planners succeed. Um, I think that a lot of times we see systems that are created and we're trying to make people fit the system right. um, instead of saying, let's create really good, really healthy systems um, that are for people to succeed. Um, so that's what I'm passionate about. I want to make on-ramps for people. I want to advocate for planters. Um, so that's a little bit what I get to do in my job. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Um, so here, so we'll just dive into the first question here because yeah. it actually really dovetails really well on what you just said, that your goal is to help church planters succeed. Yeah. And uh, I think what we're seeing in culture here is to even succeed, even if you're going to do any kind of endeavor, yeah. you need to really understand what the culture looks like. So let's yeah. talk about this uh, really giant phrase, which is learning your context yeah. or connecting with your context. What does that mean and why is that important? Yeah, well, contextualization, yeah, is a, a big term. And I think we see not just the church doing this, we see businesses doing it. It's called marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are constantly trying to figure out what do you need? How do I serve that? Um, but so when we talk about as followers of Jesus, why does contextualization matter for us? Well, I think for me, the starting ground line of that is that there's a biblical precedence that's set for this. Um, yeah. If we look at scripture, we see Jesus in Matthew 22, and he talks about the two greatest commandments of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, so there's this precedence set that I'm supposed to care for my neighbor at the same level as myself. Um, And then Jesus says that all of the law and the prophets hang on this. So all of scripture hangs on this mandate to love my neighbor. Um, So that says to me there's a responsibility that at the end of the day, I'm going to have to sit for Jesus and be responsible for my neighbor. Um, You know, if we continue after that, we see the Great Commission and then we see this explosive church movement in Acts. uh, And we see Paul And Paul is one of the most brilliant contextualizers. Um, (laughs) We're constantly seeing him do things, even his own occupation as a tent maker. Um, We're seeing him do things that are are for that context. Um, When we look at Athens, he's using language for that people and that context so that the gospel can still go forth in its form and truth, um, but so that it can resonate with those people in that area specifically. Um, Even before that, if we look at Old Testament scripture and we look at Jeremiah 29.7, it's seek the welfare of the city and in that you'll find your welfare. And this is talking to exiles, people that don't want to be in this city. 
but there's still this mandate that we're supposed to really deeply love and care about our neighbors. So um, I think when we're starting the conversation, we have to address that, that biblically there's precedent set for us. I think that's so good. I, I think even when we talk about loving your neighbor, this is not like a generic love people. Mm-hmm. This really is a love your neighbor. And with yeah. a neighbor comes a neighborhood yep. with history, yeah. um, with deep-seated ide- ideology, with deep-seated yeah. beliefs, uh, things that got them to that point there. Yeah. And so I guess this answers kind of the question, but what would you say to why why does this matter? Because yeah. I think some people would say, um, isn't the gospel a culture in and of itself? And aren't yeah. we really here to bring kingdom culture, which is always going to be antithetical to some degree to the culture that we're living yeah. in? Are we not just bowing down to the culture of today when we're adapting to context? And how would you yeah. respond to that? Um, Timothy Keller, who's the founding pastor of Redeemer in New York, has a quote where he says, cultural intelligence requires that we have a deep understanding of our own culture and how it shapes us. One of the biggest barriers to effective contextualization is the invisibility of our own cultural assumptions. Mm-hmm. So we have to look at when we're going into a neighborhood that we're, we're bringing with us a lot of baggage, um, good and bad. I'm bringing my own story, my own history, my own context, my family, um, everything about me I'm bringing to a neighborhood. And if I'm not careful, um, I can assume that the way I think a neighborhood needs to receive the gospel is the way that it actually should. Mm. Um, Instead of asking some questions of how do I use my story and my context with partnership with this neighborhood. Um, I think a great example is Ballard, Washington, which is just right in your guys' backyard. Right, yeah. Um, and it's a very interesting neighbor as far, neighborhood as far as history. Um, and we were talking earlier, and you, you have a grandpa that lives there, right? I do, 91 years old. Uh, he's an old Norwegian fisherman um, and has been in the neighborhood for like 60 years. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. So your, your grandpa has a long-standing history in that neighborhood. Um, and if I didn't know a little bit about the history, I could move into Ballard and look at the, the growth that it's experienced in the last couple of years mm. and, and assume, oh, well, there's these really awesome coffee shops here in this great restaurant, and there's a lot of people around here that look like me, so I can easily plant a church in this neighborhood. Um, but your grandpa's the perfect example. There's a really rich, deep history, Norwegian history, mm-hmm. in pockets of that neighborhood. Even when I was driving here today, um, I passed Safeway, which is a local grocery store, and it has Norwegian flags hanging off of it, which, right. where else would you see that? Um, so there's this even visible sign left, not as much as it used to be, of, of the history of this neighborhood. And so um, with that comes, needs to come an understanding. So if I moved into the portion of your neighborhood that your grandpa lives in, and I really felt strongly that, okay, I feel like I'm called to reach this people and yeah. this neighborhood with the gospel, um, then that means I need to shape my liturgy around the needs of those people. Um, even how I look at discipleship and outreach needs to ask some really key questions about the history of those people and how they learn and how their history, even with religion and faith. Um, so, so there's some really big questions that need to get asked so that I can serve the needs of that community in a way that's authentic to them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this actually brings up uh, something that you uh, recently studied and actually wrote a thesis on, Mm -hmm. um, which is what is the relationship of churches in gentrified areas? Because to your point, there are neighborhoods with longstanding history and uh, and much of the detriment that history is being overwritten um, by by new history. And so uh, can you talk to me a little bit about how did you uh, enter into this field of study? Uh, Let's talk about that first. Yeah. So um, I did my undergrad work at SPU, Go Falcons. So that's the... (laughs) university that's right here in Seattle. Um, And I studied history and and I studied art. Um, So I was already grappling with kind of topics of contextualization, even the art piece. I'm understanding some of the visual spatial awareness. Um, And so 
uh, there was a lot of neighborhood change that was happening. And if you're mm. familiar with Seattle or you live in Seattle, you've seen this over the last couple of years. Um, there's gentrification happening everywhere in Seattle. And in many cities, actually. In many cities yeah. in the U.S. Um, and so I saw this happening and was kind of going, okay, I, I'm seeing things change in my neighborhood. So even if it's happening here in the city center, it's affecting areas around it. So I live 45 minutes away in a city called Tacoma, um, and that city is being really rapidly affected by the gentrification that's happening here. So Tacoma is wow. rapidly gentrifying. Um, there was a study that was done in our local newspaper um, a year ago, and they, they showed a study of um, the top 20 gentrifying cities in the U.S. And after Los Angeles, Tacoma was the only other West Coast city that was experiencing gentrification at such a rapid rate. Um, and so that with that comes a lot of questions for me um, of, okay, what's my responsibility? Um, in that, I found a book called Race in Place by Dr. David Leong, who's a professor at SPU. Um, and he talks about uh, the relationship of urban geography and reconciliation. And one of his chapters talks about gentrification. Um, and so for me, I, I never grew up in a context where the word gentrification was used. Um, if you're in churches that are people of color, that's uh, something that's talked about a little more commonly um, because that's a really real reality. Right. Um, but for me, in a white context, that term was never really used. Um, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, but so once I read his book and, and had him unpack that, I was like, oh, this is what's happening in my community. So now what is my responsibility as someone who wants to see the gospel come into communities? And even more with my job, um, what does that mean with church planting? How do we plant churches in gentrifying communities and do it in a way um, that is honoring to that community, that, that really takes into consideration the context of that community and those people there? Um, so that's kind of where that started. Yeah. Is there, that's, okay, so your eyes kind of were maybe opened yeah. in, in some ways. Um, and by the way, I think this kind of approach really speaks to a, an approach of humility yeah. um, to, to come in and assume that, that we don't know necessarily yeah. what's happening and, and to, to sit in, in a neighborhood for a little bit and really get to, get to learn it. Yeah. Um, were there things that you learned about this that helped or yeah. are, are there any examples of people that you know who have planted churches maybe, um, unfortunately, who didn't learn some of those lessons of yeah. soaking in the environment? And this is not to point fingers or to because yeah. we all make mistakes and things, but these, these kind of decisions have real world impact. Yeah. Yeah, so when I was doing um, my thesis work, I got to interview some some church planters that are in gentrifying communities. Um, and it was a really great learning experience for me. I think there's so much more research that could be done, and I would love to do more, um, I think, because I walked away with just so many questions after interacting with them. Um, but looking at them cohesively and their church plants, um, all of them have a very deep self-awareness of their own leadership and what was required of them in those neighborhoods. Um, they had a very, very, very intentional um, understanding of their community and the history of those communities, because mm -hmm. um, we're looking at communities that have been around for years. Um, they, they shaped their teams, their core teams of their church plant to look like the demographics of the neighborhood. So saying, okay, if this is what the pre-existing residents look like, we need our teams to look like this before we go into the neighborhood. Um, they were very strategic about where they spent their time, where they spent their money. Um, some of them would not hang out in the gentrified portions of their neighborhood so that their money and resources were going to mm -hmm. the pre-existing residents. Um, so there was a lot of decisions that they made themselves and their plants um, to try and honor the existing neighborhoods. And some of them were from those original neighborhoods, which helps. Um, and there's a lot of interesting things that came out of that that I'm still having to grapple with. Um, one of the planters that I interviewed um, talked about what new development means for him as a pre-existing resident. Um, 
you know, he said, we have a saying that when new development comes in, we look at that and go, that's not for us. Mm. Um, and, and even part of that conversation then became, okay, so if you look at something like Google or Amazon coming in, and it's this new development, um, what makes that different from a new church plant coming in? Um, and so if we come into a neighborhood without intentionality and understanding the context, our church plant that's meant to bring the gospel to people and be a space of community could actually communicate to that neighborhood and those people you're trying to reach that this church isn't for them either. Mm. Um, There was another planter that I interviewed um, that planted two churches in Brooklyn. Um, And the first plant, they they went into Brooklyn and said, we we love this neighborhood. It's fun. It's hip. These people look like us. We're so excited. Um, And they just planted their church and and the church actually failed. Mm. Um, And they... um, really brought that back to not understanding the history and the context of that neighborhood and what gentrification is actually doing. Um, and so they made a choice, which still blows my mind. They they made a choice that they were going to spend six years living next to the Brooklyn housing projects mm-hmm. before they ever talked or thought about planting a church again because they really want to be intentional about um, saying we want to live and we want to die here even if we never plant a church even if our neighbors never came to know Jesus we want to be so committed to this neighborhood that we would live and die here Um, and so they planted another church after that six years and the church is still in existence and is Mm. thriving Um, but I think those are some of the examples that came out of the conversation the research of going there's just some really big questions that have to be asked um, when we're talking about the topic of contextualization wow yeah thank you for sharing that and it really sounds Sounds like a, a shift almost to more of what, what some are calling a parish mentality yeah. where, um, you know, it's, it's great to w- want to win a city for Jesus. And I think we have yeah. mandates to do that and regional expressions of, of faith. But um, I do think there's a lot to be said about relooking at the, the, the beauty of a neighborhood. Yeah. And how do I really just own this neighborhood? Not like in a conquering way, but yeah. to come in and really understand Ownership. And, and, to, and to bring, yeah, to bring life into a place like that. Yeah. Um, I know that when my wife and I planted our church, we even looked at the font choice that we were using mm-hmm. because we noticed that a lot of businesses mm-hmm. had been there for a number of years. And so we wanted to pick a font so that good. looked older so that it wasn't like we're coming into this thing and saying like, hey, we're the new great thing. And we're, yeah. no, 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 we're just part of, we're part of a story that's been written in this neighborhood for decades yeah. now. And even the way that our branding was done was to yep. reflect some of that history. Yep. Uh, and so even as we're looking at ways to to embody that or yeah. to lean in well, even down to what your logo looks like yep. for your church, I think can have a major implications yeah. uh, for how effective you can be. Yeah, that's powerful. Well, let's go ahead and switch gears uh, for a moment and talk a little bit how we can maybe even leverage tools and technology to help us to learn and engage with our community in different ways. Yeah. Um, I probably am more of a fan personally of the crockpot <laughs> method, the family that you just described that took a resident and seen a neighborhood for six years to really yeah. learn it. Um, and yet uh, not everyone is called to do that necessarily or would even know uh, how to even start that. But there are things that are readily available to us that yeah. we can utilize today, especially in the world of technology. And what have you seen work really well in your experience? Yeah, um, I think that we see technology in the the world of church being used to support traditional uh, methods and models. So we see it with your online church platform. We see it with your online giving. Um, So there's a lot of ways technology is serving those things. But uh, there's also a stream where technology is serving kind of the innovators, the Mm. creatives, the people that are thinking outside of the box, which makes me really excited uh, because I think there's a lot of possibility out there. We're talking about technology and the church and we're talking about contextualization. Every community is going to have different needs. And, and different technology can serve those different needs. And so that's an exciting thing. Um, I think one example is um, a, a church planter that I've gotten to work with that's down in Arizona, um, Justin and Janae Klatt. So they um, are the pastors of Imagine Church, which I, uh, in talking with them, found out they're a subsplash um, client, which is awesome. Um, and they have 
planted their church a little bit differently than what we would see with a traditional model. Mm. Um, partially because they're creative and they're innovators and they're trying to think outside of the box anyways. So to do anything other would not be authentic to them. But they were trying to address some needs they saw in their community. And one of the things they're even noticing is how do we reach transient communities, um, people that maybe wouldn't fit into a traditional Sunday morning context. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have a Zoom church, wow. <laughs> which sounds funny, um, but it's amazing what they're doing. And they're still, they're, they're ground zero years, we call it. So they're 45 weeks old. So they're okay. still pretty young. Yep. Um, but basically what they've done is they have people call in from these different communities on a Zoom call and they're all together on this Zoom call. Um, and they'll do worship and then they'll do the message and then they do a discussion point. So they do the first point of the message and they say, okay, now in your communities, turn to each other and have a discussion. And then they wait till those communities are done having discussion. They come back and they keep going on with the message. So there's this conversation happening on all these different pockets of community. Um, and they have what they call community builders that live in these different communities across the U.S. So, like, mm. they have one that's in Nashville, um, and they have the community builder. So there's still contextualization happening on that ground level with this community builder. Yep. And they're saying, okay, these are my neighbors. Maybe this is the barista at Starbucks that works with me. Um, and, and they're coming into my house, and we're going to be a part of this online Zoom call. Wow. And, and so it's happening in these different pockets, and um, it's amazing what they're seeing. It's a really interesting way of community flourishing. Um, they have an artist community. So people that are musicians that are touring right now that normally would never get to be a part of your traditional on the ground church. Um, they have an RV community that's calling in. Wow. Um, so it's people that are retired that are traveling across the US, but they're stopping these places with other people that are doing the same thing. Um, they have truckers that are calling in. So it's these people that normally the traditional church models couldn't reach because they're continually transient right but this model is allowing them to feel like they're a part of a community with people every week so it's just really powerful way that we're seeing technology work to serve the needs of people that the gospel wasn't currently reaching i think that's so good i think even this idea of innovation comes out of fully understanding the area that god's called you to because it's hard even the nature of innovation means that you have to understand the confines you're working with or the boundaries or the behaviors that you're working with and i think it sounds like they're not just trying to be trendy it sounds like they've saw people kind of being scattered across the four winds, if yeah. you will, still wanted to be connected with those people and have yeah. found a way to make it work. Yeah, it's That's amazing. incredible. Yeah. Well, let's keep talking about um, a few uh, few other questions around some of the resources yeah. that people um, might, might wonder, where do I go uh, if I'm yeah. wanting to read something or a podcast uh, or a website that yeah. uh, they could visit? What, what would that look like? Um, I think a great book that they could start with is Center Church by Timothy Keller, who's the founding pastor of Redeemer. Um, it it goes into so many different parts of contextualization. It talks about the biblical precedents, how to understand your community. Um, it's so well written and, and it's a resource we use with church planters. So I always would recommend that um, as a starting place for people. Another mm-hmm. book is um, A Heart for Community. So uh, it's um, Dr. Feuder, Noel Castellanos, and John Perkins have have written that, especially for church planters. I think that's a great resource great. Um, in, in talking about contextualization and, and planting a church. Um you know, Google is a great resource <laughs> using the internet. Um, but in that, I think um, the U.S. Census Bureau, which sounds totally nerdy, I know, but <laughs> there's so much really great information that's sure. constantly being updated that you can learn a lot about your community by looking at the Census Bureau. Um, there's another website that's called Social Explorer, and it pulls all this data from your neighborhood and your community, like so many different topics. Um, and it turns them into these really beautiful little graphs that you can look at that make the mm. information a little bit easier to sure. understand if you're not really wanting to go forward 
full nerdy level and look at the Census Bureau, um, it makes it a little bit more digestible for people. So that's a great way for you to start looking at kind of, okay, who lives in my neighborhood? What are the racial demographics? What's the socioeconomic demographics? Even what does what does the households look like in my neighborhood? Um, so there's some really easy ways I think that people can start interacting with this topic of contextualization. Yeah, I think that's good. But you are saying though, to some degree, there is some work that's involved, yeah, some investment to, totally. to really unpack this and start to learn. Uh, would you say for somebody maybe who's been in ministry for a long time, and maybe this is something that now eyes are being opened and saying, wow, what do we do to lean yeah. in? Is it is it too late to start learning how to lean Never. in? You <laughs> Never. You can totally do it now. <laughs> yeah, good. Never too late to lean in. And then kind of a follow-up question would be, um, how often do you need to kind of relearn or take another look again at your context? Yeah, well, I would say people are always changing and culture is always changing. And so I think that that mandates that we need to be looking at our context on a regular basis. Um, and, and I think that's a wonderful learning opportunity. So if we talk about learning mindsets, um, that's an opportunity that we have to know our neighbors in a new way, to know um, the barista that works at mm. the coffee shop down the street, yeah. or even maybe your librarian or your grocery checker. There, there's so many places where you get to have this wonderful learning experience with people um, in a way that doesn't have to be big or scary. It's just this wonderful opportunity and invitation I would say from the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. to be invited into a space and a place and go, I want to love these people. And so even if it's you're, you know, you're planting now and you're just starting, or maybe you've been in a pastoring in a community for 20 years, or even if you're marketplace, um, maybe you're not pastoring a church, but Mm -hmm. you are working in an office building. This is an opportunity for you to um, have a new experience with your community. Yeah, I think that's so good. And I would also say, you know, maybe uh, there's times that we look back and certainly as, as church planters 18 months in, there's some things that we <laughs> did that I wish that even looking back, yeah. we would have done differently. I think it's okay to give grace for so ourselves grace. to learn. God is so good about directing yep. and redirecting. Um, but I think it is important to, to stop and look. Yep. And that's all we're really talking about is open yep. your eyes and see what's happening around yep. and ask God how we lean in effectively. Yeah, That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us yeah, on this episode. Me. I think your wisdom and your insight has been uh, really helpful. Mm-hmm. And uh, And I hope for all of you who have joined in as well, this has been something that you can take away with you and start to look in and lean in to what and who God has called you to minister to. At the end of the day, we want to help you be effective. We want to see you reach the neighborhoods and context that God has sent you to. And this is a great place to start. And listen, if you're joining us, uh, we're grateful. Uh, Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast. Uh, Feel free to give us a rating. Hopefully it's a five-star rating uh, (laughs) that this has been beneficial to you. And we'll see you next time on Equip and Engage. Thanks for tuning in to Equip and Engage, where we're sharing insights learned from thousands of conversations with leaders and pastors around the world. To follow along with these conversations, subscribe today or visit our website.